Welcome to Tantra Cafe, everybody. This is a program for spiritual enlightenment, and I'm Laurie Handlers, your host. I want to let you know that you can get in touch with me at laurie at tantracafe.com, and also you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter. I received the best fan mail this week from somebody who said he listened to my show with Robert Silver talking about living in an intentional community. And I was talking about the Harrod Experiment, a book from the 60s, which was about people going to college and finding out that the boys and girls were in the same rooms and they were able to have sex with each other and everything. This person wrote me and said, thanks so much. He saw the movie. He's reading the book, and he was so excited. He's been listening to my show since January 2010. How exciting I am when I get mail from you. So please write me and let me know you're listening and let me know what turns you on about the show. Well, today we're talking about polyamory. We are going to talk about why somebody would choose to love and be intimate with more than one partner. We're going to talk about whether it's even possible. Why would I want to do this? It's so difficult to manage loving myself. <laughs> That's been my lifelong challenge. And it's it's how... Even loving one more person is difficult. Why would somebody choose to love more than one person? You know, divorce rates for the first time marriage are something like 50%, over 50%. Divorce rates for the second time marriage are something like 80%. So my guest today is going to talk to us about what it would be like to love more than one person. My guest is Deborah Annapole. She sometimes is known to her friends as Taj, and she is launching she her new book, which is called Polyamory in the 21st Century, uh, Love and Intimacy with Multiple Partners. So she's an expert about this. She's one of the world's experts about this, and she's going to tell us some answers to my questions, like why would I want to do this? Why would you want to do this? Why would we even consider it? What could we gain from this? Those are the questions. Those are the outstanding questions over and over again about trying to love more than one person. Deborah, welcome to Tondra Cafe. Thank you. Yeah. It's great to have you back as my guest. You've been my guest before on this show about your your hot topic. So Yeah, it's been fun, so I'm happy to be back, too. Great. How is it that, you know, how did you, you know, I don't even want to ask you the history yet. I'll ask you that a little later in the show. I want to ask you, you know, just the point blank question. I know that it's been hard for me to find self-love. I finally have. Through Tantra, I learned to love myself, and I basically can love other people now with a capacity that I've never had before. I can love people almost unconditionally. I can even love people who break their word, which that's been a big struggle. I can love people who I'm not even so attracted to. That's been a big struggle. But to be intimately in love with more than one person, what's the point? Well, not that anyone should try to do this or force themselves to do this if they don't want to. It's more that if you should be so blessed as to be in love with two people at the same time, what do you do? And a lot of people, um, myself included in the past, have felt like they needed to make a choice. 
and that's one option. But if I mean, there's really minute. two people that you love, why not love both of them? So you mean before you needed to, I want to just really be clear about this. You mean before, like if you love two people, you felt like you had to choose between which one you saw a brighter future with or which one you loved more or which one you were more attracted to. You mean like that, force yourself to choose between them. That's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, because when and I was very last? young, I'm sorry, I missed you. <laughs> did that last? Did the choice last? Yeah. No. 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 <laughs> okay, I just wanted to know. <laughs> So then you, you've expanded yourself. You asked yourself the question, what if I, what if I could manage both? Isn't it worth giving this a shot? This is the, this is your question, the big question. Yeah, and you know, actually, historically, the, the first experience that I had was loving more than one person and thinking that I needed to choose, but I didn't actually get the paradigm shift until uh, a little bit later in life, I found myself loving uh, some people who loved other people as well. And I had to decide, okay, do I want to participate in this or not? And I said, yes, I do. And that's where I really started um, looking into how is this possible, how does it work, who's doing it. And that was about uh, 25 years ago. So you're a pro at this. Well, I, I've been doing it, thinking about it, talking about it, coaching other people for uh, a couple of decades. So, yeah, I seem to have learned a few things along the way. I'm glad. I'm glad. So here's the thing. Let's go back to that example. You found yourself because I feel like, the more concrete we can be on this subject, the more understanding and concrete we can be on this subject, the more light we can shed to people who maybe have thought about it but thought there was no possibility. I mean, you coached me recently in a situation where I, I was seeing somebody who loved somebody else, and I, I was happy about that. I actually didn't want – I didn't really want to be in love with this person. I just – I liked having him around some of the time, but I didn't want, I wanted him to have someone he loved um, more than me. I wanted to have an intimate encounter from time to time, but I did not want a love object person in my life. And it's funny because when, when he broke up, when he and the person broke up, he and his main squeeze, we'll call her, broke up, I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't want to continue. So it's like he had a double breakup because I didn't want to continue. I didn't want to hear all his problems. I didn't want to be so intimate. I didn't want to be the, the one. And um, so it was interesting how that went. And he and I are still friends, and I don't know if he and she are still friends. But she and I were in complete agreement that it was okay. And I only, I only opened myself up to all of that because I know you. Uh-huh. Well, I hope it was a good experience. <laughs> You're in my life, so I have permission. <laughs> so go back to the thing. You you felt you you met these people, they were in love with someone else. You had to ask yourself the question, what should I do? And you came up with 
I'm going to pursue this. So how did that, how did you go about doing that? How, how, how did that happen? Well, there are three different situations that occurred over a period of a few years. And one of them was actually uh, not just one person, but a group marriage. And it was the, the man in the group marriage that was really pursuing me with the encouragement um, and actually participation of the women. And I was a little hesitant to get involved at first because I thought, you know, it's one thing sharing a guy with one woman but uh, here I'm sharing a guy with three women. How's this going to work? But actually, one of the women was very bi and uh, was just as interested in me as, as he was. And the four of them had such an incredible relationship, and I felt so good when I spent time with them that I thought, you know, I'd be an idiot to say no to this. And in fact, it's one of the most loving relationships I've ever been involved in. So just to be, you know, just to get some clarity on this, a group marriage, it doesn't mean it's really legal because that's not allowed in, in, in our, in our culture. Um, so they just, right. they, they acted as it was, he, were, were any of the two of them married? Actually, none of them were legally married, although two of them had been together as a couple for quite a long time before uh, the others. Things evolved over the years. But, okay. um, no, they didn't believe in legal marriage. So no legal marriages in that group. Okay, so it was a group marriage by declaration. Yeah, and I'm not... Yeah, I think they did use the word marriage. I mean, what that meant was that... They lived together, and they were committed to supporting each other and working together as a as a unit. They didn't uh, they shared expenses but not income, and they uh, just used their relationship as as a basis from which to be nurtured and to support each other as a team whatever they all decided to do together. And they lived together. Were there any children? They did not have children. That was a conscious choice on their part, not to have children, because they really uh, wanted to do something that uh, larger. They wanted to contribute to uh, you know, society, the to the planet, as a whole, and they saw that while raising children is a noble thing to do, it takes a tremendous amount of focus. And so they chose not to do that. And actually, that's really the reason I'm not still with them, is because I was a single parent at the time with a child. And so while I could be part of the extended family, um, I couldn't really be part of the core group because I was a mom. You know, I was going to ask you that, so I'm really glad you said. We're going to just stop here for a moment, and we'll, when we come back, we're going to pick up right where we left off. If you're listening to Tantra, if you're listening, if you just tuned in, you're listening to Tantra Cafe. I'm Laurie Handlers, your host. My guest today is Deborah Annapol, Deborah Taj Annapol, and she has out a new book 
called Polyamory in the 21st Century, Love and Intimacy with Multiple Partners, and you can purchase it at Amazon.com. We will be right back. We're talking about polyamory, which means loving and being intimate with more than one person. She's telling us about some of her first experiences with it, and I have many more questions to ask her about children in these type of relationships and other things. So stay tuned. We're coming right back at you. Have you ever wished for an end to pests in and around your home, around your office? Stop paying for dangerous chemicals that can harm your children, your pets, and your clients. Today in Arizona and Florida, an environmentally responsible pest control company named Ladybug has set up shop to provide natural and organic pest control services. Ladybug can help you stop even the most persistent, nastiest bugs with green, organic products that are friendly to people and pets. In addition, there are franchise opportunities in Arizona, Florida, and throughout the USA. To learn more about Ladybug, Ladybug's home-friendly and earth-smart green pest control services, visit the Ladybug website at ladybugcorp.com or call us at 561-276-7600. Ladybug guarantees you another eco-friendly, pest-free day naturally. Wondering what book you should read to jumpstart your sex life and increase your happiness? Try my book, Sex and Happiness, The Tantric Laws of Intimacy by me, Laurie Handlers. This short, easy-to-read book will make you laugh at yourself, and it may possibly make you cry as you discover my tantric secrets for happiness and how they apply to you. In the book, I begin with the tenth law, make love in the unknown, and then I work you all the way through laws one through nine to teach you how to be in the unknown, fresh, every moment of every day of your life. Sex and happiness puts the innocence and love back into sex and gives Tantra the respect it deserves. It's only $19.99 in paperback and $14.99 ebook. Go to sexandhappiness.com to order your copy of Sex and Happiness by me, Laurie Handlers, the host of Tantra Cafe. Well, we're back. Again, this is Tantra Cafe, a program for spiritual enlightenment. I am Laurie Handlers, your host. And I love doing this show. And today is a show about being intimate and loving more than one person and how this is possible. My, my guest today is not only my friend, but an expert on, in this field. Her name is Deborah Taj Anapol, and she's written a book called Polyamory in the 21st Century, Love and Intimacy with Multiple Partners. That's in the 21st Century. And... Um, so, Taj, when we left off, we were talking about you not being able to really stay in this configuration with your quote-unquote group marriage because you were a single parent and these people had chosen not to have children. So what, ha- what did they say? You know, you can't really, f- we love you, but you got to go. You, 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 no, no, no. I was part of the extended family because it, it wasn't a closed marriage it was an open marriage and in fact uh you know they would come and visit me and i remember one time they actually um you know did uh well my daughter was uh i think maybe 13 at the time and and was going to her first school dance and i had uh 
something I had to go out of town for. And so, you know, they were the surrogate parents, and they helped her, you know, do her hair and dress and, and the whole thing. It wasn't that they wouldn't have anything to do with children. But it, my living with them full time and, you know, becoming uh, a central part of the family was not a possibility at that point. Got it. Okay, so, yeah, so that's the thing. My question then, you know, I have to jump here to the question of children. So you ha- do you have one daughter or do you have two? I have two daughters and actually two granddaughters now. Two daughters and two granddaughters. Wow. You're prolific in women. I love it. And they're going to be yeah. powerful. They're powerful women, I'm sure. So how do how did your daughters, how did they face being part of a a, a family where a mother is polyamorous? Uh, and how do they face it now? And is it any different from how it was back in the day for you? Well, my my two daughters are 15 years apart, so they really grew up in two different families. Okay. And, uh, yeah, the younger one, who's almost 22 now, was born into an open marriage. So she never knew anything else. Okay. And she... She doesn't really remember this, but I do. When she started dating in high school, and she just kind of assumed that it was okay to, you know, be involved with more than one person. And she was really quite shocked when uh, one of the boyfriends got jealous of one of the other boyfriends and said, you know, this doesn't work for me. You've got to choose. <laughs> and and uh, I've talked to other uh, young people who have grown up in polyamorous families who similarly started out with the assumption this is fine to do, ran into resistance from the monogamous culture, and you know, like my daughter, you know, ended up saying, well, okay, people are not ready for this. Uh, I'm going to back off of it because I care more about my connection with this person than I do about the form of the relationship. So, ergo, so, I, your, so your daughter entered me. into a, a monogamous relationship. Is that yeah? Is that, she, I mean, she is that the natural tried, conclusion? Yeah, she kind of tried doing the open thing, and it didn't really work. And so, you know, she decided uh, to go with with the monogamy thing. And you know, she's still young; she's still trying on different things, and. So I think for for her, it's kind of, you know, whatever works in the situation. And actually, that's something I did want to address because while my book, and this was the publisher's, you know, desire, is subtitled Love and Intimacy with Multiple Partners, it's always been really important to me since I first started writing about this in, you know, the early 90s to recognize that polyamory means many loves. It means being open to allowing love to lead. And if love should happen to lead you to loving more than one person over the course of time, to allow that. But it's not really about the form. So you could have two people who are just you know, totally a perfect match and totally into each other and not really that interested in having other partners. Not because either one of them refused it, but just because 
that's not how things are going. And right. to me, that's still polyamory. You don't feel, okay, That because my next question for you is going to be, do you feel, you know, like, I never married. I just didn't want to do that. Maybe I really am polyamorous at heart and never saw a way to, you know, I never felt that one person was enough for me. And I never also felt that I was enough for one person, but I know that I'm a lot to handle. So um, so my, my question was, you know, my mother always felt that uh, she was a failure <laughs> because I didn't do exactly what she did. And it sounds like you don't feel a failure if your daughter chooses monogamy. <laughs> no, I'm so proud of both my daughter and these other kids who, instead of, you know, being in their heads with a concept that they think is right, are willing to flow and be flexible with what works. Now, does your older so, daughter feel the same way? Because your older daughter grew up in a different, you were more of a single parent to her. How does, how right, does she, my, is she different from your younger daughter in, a, in that certain way? Yeah, I would say my older daughter is, and, and this is the one that, uh, you know, the people in the group marriage sent her off to her first school dance. Okay. And, and, um, who, you know, saw me dating multiple people, having sexual relationships with multiple people. Um, and, and she was still at home when I entered into an open marriage. But she was really, you know, she she saw me in the early stages of trying to sort all this out. And so you know, she's, I would say, fairly attached, at least at this point, to uh, monogamy. And she's got a fabulous husband and they're I mean they wouldn't have time for more relationships because they're both working full time and have two kids uh, you know who knows in 20 years who knows where they could get to but uh, I would say at this point her idea is that monogamy is how you do it and that's fine with me I don't have a problem with that she was lucky enough to connect with a man who's a good match for her and I yeah. think, you know, this is really a lot of what it's about. And you said, well, you never married. Um, and now I married a number of times, but I think coming from the same place of really only a couple times in my lifetime, uh, connecting up with a person who I felt could meet me on every level. This is not my usual experience. And so... Uh, you know, the way I've done that is to rather than um, uh, complain that I'm not being met by whoever I'm with, to say, well, okay, we can share these things, and I'm going to share those things with somebody else. Yeah, but then doesn't the person say, okay, but why does it have to be sexual? I mean, I can see that in any marriage, you know, saying, listen, honey, you're not my own thing. You're not my whole life. I adore you, but I have, I have all these other interests, and and I want to I have to play them out. I want to act in the theater, and I want to make films, and I want to do this. And then I could see someone saying, you know, but why does it have to be sexual? Right. Well, it doesn't have to be sexual, but okay. if there's a sexual attraction there. Why can't it be sexual? 
Yeah, it's a great argument. It's really, it's a great argument. It's just as logical. Why can't it be? Who says? You know, my my take on it is that the whole sexual uh, suppression happened around religions wanting to promulgate the religion and not wanting, you know, wanting to control people's rowdiness and craziness. So if they could get us real scared of our sexuality whenever that took place, uh, thousands of years ago, then we could be controlled easily and and not want to propagate with just anybody or jump into a sexual relation with just anybody. Then, then so be it for them. They could know exactly who the mother and father of each child was, and they could count. Oh, this many from my religion score. <laughs> you know, like, so. Yeah. So we don't yeah, have to go. I have a lot of shows that we. I talk about that on a lot of shows. We don't have to go into that. I, I like the idea that you're making a logical argument for this as a possibility for people to look at, and they don't have to. And you didn't put pressure on your children to have to do it your way as the mom. You you let them be however they want to be, and and so they respond well to you. Um, so, so this is a good thing. And this is a good thing it, it, to have them have their freedom to be how they want to be, even if that's not the way you are. Exactly. So, and yeah, if I could just say one one thing about this um, sure. sexuality thing that I see that particularly for women. When women's sexuality is repressed or suppressed, when they're not sexually fulfilled, um, and this could be true for men as well, I'm not a man, so I won't speak to that, but I think we're, we're less empowered as women when we're not sexually fulfilled. And monogamy is a great way to prevent women from being sexually fulfilled unless they're with a tantric man because women's sexual capacity is so much greater than men's in general unless the man is trained to put the woman first. He's done when she's just getting started. Yeah. You're talking about in a regular sexual encounter. Boom, boom. Thank you. Done. Roll over, go to sleep, see you later. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, well, this is, it's a great plug for Tantra. You know, what you just said, it's a, it's a really great plug for Tantra. We want our men, you know, to be trained to go longer and last longer and have more pleasure and give us more pleasure and all those things. So we're gonna, we're gonna stop here for a second. When we come back, we're gonna talk more about this. We're gonna ask, I'm gonna be asking Deborah about how you can go about negotiating these relate, these relatings, these multiple relatings, whether you're, uh, in a relationship now or whether you are looking for one, maybe you're looking for one plus. So when we come back, we'll be talking about that. I'm interviewing Deborah Annapol, the author of Polyamory in the 21st Century. Love and intimacy with multiple partners. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Have you ever wanted something really different from a plain old Swedish massage? If you want an extraordinary private bodywork session, call Krishna Naidu. Krishna definitely has the touch. 
He offers yoga fusion therapy, embodiment therapy, individual tantra sessions, and even private yoga classes. I hope this intrigues you. His work is subtle yet tremendously effective, and I know his clients keep coming back for more because I'm one of them. For more information about the sessions and to find a session near you, call Krishna Naidu at 857-891-8090. That's 857-891-8090. Call Krishna Naidu today. Sessions are regularly available in New York, Boston, Washington, D.C., Phoenix, and Scottsdale. I, Laurie Handlers, the host of this show, personally invite you to come with me on a tantric tour of the heart of India on November 21st to December 3rd, 2010. You'll see the Taj Mahal, of course, and visit the fabulous Fadipur Sikri, home of the great Mughal King Akbar. You'll experience the Sacred Lake in Pushkar, and then you'll tour the pink city of Jaipur. Then, at dawn, from a boat on the Ganges in Varanasi, you'll see exquisite Hindu prayer rituals. Then you'll tour Sarnath, where the Buddha gave his first speech after attaining enlightenment. And finally, you'll get to explore the exotic Kama Sutra temples in Kajiraho. All throughout the tour, you'll learn tantric techniques and principles, and I promise you'll feel a tremendous sense of well-being as we delve into these simple yet potent tantric tools. Please note, no previous experience of Tantra or yoga is necessary to come on this tour with me. I invite you to join me in this unique experience join the incredible, incredible country of India. I must warn you, this is not your typical tour, and you are not the typical tourist. For more information about this exciting tantric tour of the heart of India, contact Lori at ButterflyWorkshops.com or write to her at info at ButterflyWorkshops.com. We're back with Tantra Cafe. I'm Laurie Handlers, your host, and today I'm speaking with Deborah Taj Anapol, the author of Polyamory in the 21st Century, Love and Intimacy with Multiple Partners. And before, we were talking about how, first of all, how Deborah's children responded to this uh, to this passion of hers, to this developing passion of hers to have more than one partner, and then also, uh, you know, their responses and how she raised them to be okay with however they are. And then this, the the thing we stumbled upon just before the break was about women needing more sexual satisfaction because but just at the time they're getting started sexually, men are finished and, and being a tantric lover. So, um, Deborah, tell us a little bit about. So you, that is that is that what got you into is is that what got you into tantra? What the whole idea of. I don't know. I mean, how are they connected? Because you just did connect the dots. Yeah. Well, you know, this, there's a conversation that just got started about this in Facebook, and I think a lot of people are starting to ask this question because in practice there often is a lot of connection, but there doesn't need to be. There's plenty of polyamorous people. They're not interested in Tantra. They're against it because they're kind of political and they see that as spiritual. And so 
They have a separation there. And there's plenty of tantric people who, particularly teachers, who have an investment in appearing monogamous because that's their market is monogamous couples who want to have better relationships. But, in fact, um, it's extremely rare to find monogamous tantra teachers. And in the, in the tantric tradition, um, you know, pra- tantric practice was not about supporting a monogamous relationship. It was about uh, riding the waves of sexual as well as other energies in order to become more conscious, to become more aware. And so there was actually a prohibition on uh, yeah, falling in love, coupling up, uh, getting infatuated with your tantric practice partner because then you got sidetracked into things like having children and raising families and it was very difficult, especially in the past and actually to this day, to keep your focus on um, uh, the bigger picture when you're really involved in being a householder. So the connection there in, in terms of my own life, uh, actually Tantra came first. Okay. And, or they, they developed in parallel, I would say. Uh, when I started teaching, after I wrote my first book, I started trying to um, offer workshops for people about polyamory and I realized that a lot of people that were interested in polyamory had not um, developed their sexuality. Some of them had, but a lot of them had a lot of sexual issues. A lot of them were sexually inexperienced. And so when they would come into contact with other partners or potential partners or their partner's partners, they were not coming from a, a place of confidence and um security. So I realized actually it's important for people to get a basis. It doesn't have to be Tantra or Neo-Tantra, but it's important for people to really develop themselves sexually before they start getting involved with other people. Otherwise, they're just going to feel threatened and scared and inadequate. So you make a case for people studying Tantra who aren't necessarily in couples, which I've made that case for, you know, 15 years, that it's really about my, and and what I said, what I said even opening the show is it's been difficult enough for me to manage loving myself, which I did finally manage to learn to love myself. Even though I said I loved myself in the past, I thought I loved myself, but after maybe six years of tantric practice with myself and with a partner for some time, some of that time, I found out that I went so deep inside that I actually loved myself so much I could actually claim having married myself. And, and that's a very different place to be than if I'm just working on sexual techniques to absolutely yeah to please my partner or better sexual techniques to please myself the techniques actually led me so far in so deeply in that the only thing i could come up with was bliss 
an ecstasy and a feeling of such love for myself. I'm so sacred. I wouldn't want to hurt myself by pursuing someone who's not for me or pursuing something haphazardly like I did in the past when I didn't have this knowledge. So you're making a great case for, for people to to get into their tantric practice with or without a partner slash partners and do that for yourself no matter what. And then here's a whole other avenue to open up, which is the possibility that maybe just one person is not for you. You know, yeah, it's a great, exactly. Huh, it's a, but it's you a know, it's pursuit. It's a great, it's a great inquiry, and it's a great pursuit, I think. And what I encourage people to do is to not just come exclusively from the mind, saying. This is the kind of relationship that I want, whether it's monogamous or polyamorous, but to to really just be more available for what's the truth of the connections that you're making with people. Let the lovely, let, let the relationship determine the form. Not start out with a picture of the form and try to push yourself and whoever you're relating with into that form that your mind has decided is the superior form. Yeah, it's great. Well, there's so much programming though. I mean, it's, your mind decided it because your mind didn't have a chance. Your mind. Exactly. You know, it, it wasn't a discussed thing in families. You know, honey, you should let your relationship develop the form. You know, I don't, I know you'll remember this because you and I are in the same decade, but I don't know if everyone listening will remember this. There used to be a promotion on TWA, which was an airline that is no longer. And on TWA, they had the TWA getaway card. And they had these two people on the card. It was one of the first credit card, debit card type things where there was pictures on it instead of just something saying MasterCard or Visa there was a TWA getaway card. It was a plastic card, and it had a picture of two people holding hands walking towards the sunset. And I used to laugh at it and think that um, people would do anything. Like one person would be on the card, and they'd be looking for a cutout, like a cutout doll of anyone to put onto that card, you know, to walk into the sunset with, like, just give me my cutout person I have to have that or else I'm no good and they right. so they would so that that would be the form of everything every song that we say that we hear you know every every movie it's about it's about one person finding Mr. Right or Ms. Right and you're suggesting that there are multiple rights and it and it and it goes beyond gender and it goes beyond form uh, of what we were taught and you're 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 expressing that people can have an openness that maybe most people don't even see as possible. Now, how does this differ from swinging? Well, swinging, you know, all these things are words that we attach to behavior. So the words attached to swinging say that it's about recreational sex. It's for couples. It used to be called wife swapping, and then somebody decided that was sexist. But in a way, maybe that's a more accurate description, that swinging is primarily for couples that want to play with other couples. And 
the thing is, there are people who call themselves swingers who, in fact, end up practicing polyamory, end up having committed long-term friendships that have a sexual dimension, or they may even end up in group marriages. And there's people who call themselves polyamorous, but really they're just interested in playing sexually with a lot of people. And so the language gets really confusing. And um, recently I've seen some new language appearing. For example, a somewhat mainstream therapist from the East Coast recently published an article called The New Monogamy. And what she's writing about is exactly what I would call polyamory, but she's <laughs> calling it the new monogamy. <laughs> <laughs> Probably to distinguish it from all the recreational sex going on in the name of um, polyamory. And, in fact, one of my clients said to me recently, you know, I keep being attracted to these guys who are really kind of monogamous, and then we get into conflict because... They want to be monogamous, and, and I want to have more than one relationship. But I keep being attracted because um, I want that depth and intimacy. I, I'm not interested in the more casual, recreational kind of thing that is what most, quote-unquote, polyamorous people are looking for. So the language gets very confusing, <laughs> and... and uh, I think it's a good sign that uh, new monogamy is, is showing up because the same thing happened in the 60s when um, serial monogamy, which is now really the, the norm, very few people have one lifetime partner. They, swap, they, they get a new one every few years. They just don't keep right. the old one at the same time. That's right. That's and it was right. called so serial true. polygamy. Um, then the name got changed to serial monogamy, and it became the norm. So I think the same thing may be happening here. When polyamory becomes the new monogamy, then everyone's going to be doing it. I see what you're saying. Now, where was this article published? This is very, this is very interesting to me. Uh, this article is in a, uh, a professional journal called Psychotherapy Networker in the current issue. And... Uh, if you've been around for a while, you might know that journal is the Family Therapy Networker, but they changed their name to Psychotherapy Networker. And uh, I actually have a call in to the woman that wrote this article. And uh, as soon as I get off the phone here, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to her and find out what she's up to, because yeah. this just totally fascinates me. Yeah, it's fascinating. In the article, she she I'm doesn't say here, and maybe she, maybe I should have her as a guest on the show. So let me know, you know, give me a report on what happens with her because I'd like to interview her too and see what see what she's up to. Where did she, you know, where did she get this and blah blah blah. So yeah, I think that, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that as far as I know, she is not a polyamorous or non-monogamous person, but she's an open-minded person. So when her clients started coming to her who were doing, you know, open marriages or um, having affairs, but, you know, wanting to stay together. And, you know, instead of just telling them they were wrong, she took a look at what was really going on. Right. It's, uh, this is so, this is great. It's very encouraging. And I love what you said about words being so important 
and cha- and everything changing based on how we're defining things, based on what words were, you know, everything is in flux and changing, as it really should be in a living, breathing language, in a living, breathing culture. Everything should kind of be in flux and changing more appropriately as the culture changes, and it may just be the words that we get hung up on, and everything else really is moving. So we're going to pause here for a second and, and uh, take this up again when we come back. If you just tuned in, you're listening to Tantra Cafe. I'm Laurie Handlers, your host, and I'm interviewing Deborah Taj Anapol, who is the author of, this is her new book, she's, she's an author, and her new book is Polyamory in the 21st Century, Love and Intimacy with Multiple Partners. And you can get a hold of this book on Amazon.com. And uh, we'll be right back. We're going to be talking about, oh, a few other loose ends where it comes to polyamory and what we're, what we're really talking about, how the culture is evolving. So please stay tuned. Are you afraid of drying up? Is sex uncomfortable? Is that why you don't have it so much anymore? Today I'm speaking with the founder of New Zealand Pure, which makes unique products for sexual wellness. And her name is Shana Venice. Shana, tell us about vaginal dryness and what's the product that we should be using. Vaginal dryness nowadays has become more of an epidemic than we realize. More and more women are having discomfort, not only just walking around, but with sexual intercourse, sexual uh, action, interaction. And I hear daily that it's uncomfortable and uh, I'm not having sex anymore because it hurts and all kinds of different stories. How can we remedy this? Well, one of the remedies is silk. Silk is a unique lube made from New Zealand kiwi fruit vine. And what this lube does is help to increase your own vaginal secretions. By That's amazing. That's totally amazing. And can we just, it's silk, S-Y-L-K, right? It's not. That's, that's right, S-Y-L-K. And so it increases a woman's own bodily function of vaginal secretions. That's, that's amazing. Yes, and it mimics the vaginal secretions. So if you apply it, let's say, in the afternoon and you know you're going to make love that night, you don't have to worry about it. It will be there. Uh, the beauty of the silk is it increases with wetness. So if you apply the silk for sex or you apply the silk for vaginal dryness, it will be with you all day. That's fantastic. When people, if you would like to find out about this, go to silkusa.com. That's S-Y-L-K-U-S-A dot com to find out more. You can also write to me, laurie at tantracafe.com, to find out about silk. Many times on Tantra Cafe, you've heard my guests and me discuss emotional release techniques. Now, you can do emotional release work in the privacy of your own home. In my CD, Shamanic Release and Latihan, I create a very, very safe and sacred space in which you can do the powerful work I'm known for in my Tantra courses. First, I set you up with the proper positioning and breathing, and then I guide you through emotional states to the beat of tribal African rhythms. 
try this CD as an easy way to do your personal clearing work on a regular basis and watch your relationships walk free from emotional baggage. You can order my CD at ButterflyWorkshops.com for only $20. I believe you're worth it. I hope you do. Go to ButterflyWorkshops.com and get your copy now. And walk free from emotional baggage. Hi, I'm Laurie Handlers, and I'm the host of Tantra Cafe, and I'm back with my guest today, Deborah Taj Anapol. I just want to mention that in case you're a somebody who is involved as a sex educator or practitioner, you might want to look into the International School of Temple Arts, which develops conferences and trainings worldwide, expanding the network of tantric temples and temple arts across the continents, across cultures, mores, and history. We are all coming together in this sex educator consciousness in an attempt to bring more freedom and more expression and more communication in the world, eliminating shame and guilt and suppression from our cultures and the world. So you can find out about more about this at the School of Temple Arts, schooloftemplearts.com. And um, Deborah, you're going to be traveling in England soon. And I want to just say something about that. You're traveling in Eng- England. You're going to be doing some programs, and you're also teaming up with the School of Temple Arts with Baba Des in in England. Do you want to say a little something about that? Since I just mentioned it. Yeah, well, you know, I've we've all been working in this arena for quite a while, and lately I'm seeing some beautiful collaborations developing. I just did um, a program with Dasi Easton, author of Ethical Slut, and Serena Anderlini, Guy in the New Politics of Love, and so the three of us you know, did a program together, and... Um, the, the International School of Temple Arts, similar thing. They've been doing conferences for sex educators and healers and something I've been doing for a long time, and so we're going to take a look at doing it together. Yeah, what a concept. It's real, yeah, what a concept. <laughs> I think when I first arrived on the, on the tantric scene, I, I mean, I, nobody was talking to each other that I knew of. People were so scared and, you know, and they were so, uh, protective of their group of people. And, you know, now it's like there's so much tantra going around. There's really so much more conversation about sex education and all of it that people are starting to work together and stop worrying about that. The internet has brought everyone together in, the, in our world anyway. Certainly the internet has brought us together so. So you'll be in uh, September, the month of September, you'll be in England? Yeah, I'll be doing a weekend for women only, a weekend for couples, and uh, also doing a polyamory weekend in Ireland, and then I'll be teaching the uh, healer's training with Des. So it's going to be a really amazing time, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, And Facebook is... You know, I think a big part of not only making it easy to network internationally, but making the conversation between different sex educators and different uh, tantra teachers uh, very available. And 
I also want to mention I have a uh, Facebook page for polyamory in the 21st century, and I just posted some video. I'm excited, finally getting into the uh, Internet video scene. Uh, from uh, this, these talks that I did with Dossie and Serena uh, a few weeks ago. So, so uh, the time is just flying by today, so I know we're not going to get to address everything. If, if your listeners want to hear more, they can uh, go to my Facebook page and get more. So it's the, face, the name of the Facebook page is Holly Emery in the 21st Century. There's a page. Right. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for telling them. I, I we got to give people as much information as possible, especially if they hear something here that they want to pursue. I that's you know that's the point of it. That's the point of it. Let's get people finding the information that they need and want. So back to this uh, this whole thing about languaging and uh, and what have you. So this is real. You know, I remember studying in high school, I don't know, or maybe in college, something about religions where they had polygamy. And I remember thinking that was, and you know, that's been going on for forever in the Bible and what have you. I mean, I don't know much about the Bible, but what little I know, I know it was in there. So, this, we're talking about different stuff. This is different. These are choices that people are making based on really what they find out about themselves as they go through their life. They find out that they're not maybe bent, uh, or they or they find out that they're in a relationship, and all of a sudden it's not what they thought. They actually are attracted tremendously to somebody else, and they're starting to give themselves permission to at least look and question and find out what else could be possible here. And that's really, I think that's what you're talking about. Now, the negotiation part, I want to know a little something about that, and I think people need to know a little something about that. If, if, if someone listening to this show all of a sudden has found themselves, you know, they're in something more monogamous and they find themselves being really super attracted to somebody, and they, and they dare to let themselves think that there's another possibility here, what should they do? Well, the first thing is there's always a temptation to say, you know, I'm going to have a secret affair because otherwise I'm going to be risking my marriage. I'm going to be, you know, hurting or or disturbing my partner. And so I'm just going to do this quietly and um, keep it my, my little secret. And while, you know, there's always the exception to the rule, but the rule is that while that might look like a good plan in the short term, in the long term, you're almost guaranteed that you're ruining your marriage and your partner is going to be a lot more upset with you later on to find out that you cheated than he or she is going to be when you share your feelings and ask for their input before anything happens. And I know that sounds scary for a lot of people, But, yeah, think about it. Um, If you really care about the health of your primary relationship, you want to share a big decision like that with your partner. You want to get their input. You want to, you know, allow this to expand your intimacy. 
if you keep it a secret, it's going to detract from your intimacy. Now, if you're determined to have the sexual experience and you don't really care about the quality of your relationship, yeah, then go have the sexual experience and, you know, pay the price. But <laughs> go ahead. It, it, our whole culture is it teaches us to think about, you know, in a short-term rather than a long-term way. And we're finding out that that doesn't work. It's not sustainable. In the long term, it's going to be a whole lot easier to, to talk about what you would like to do than what you already did. So honesty is the best policy in, in this whole equation, what you're talking about. It really, it sounds like it's the honesty. Now, you know, I've interviewed um, Sasha and Janet Lesson recently, and they talked about making love together with multiple partners that everyone knows everything and they t- and Sasha the husband of this couple said that he has interventions that he does right in the sexual act like if somebody's not feeling good about what's going on while all the partners are together they stop the action and they have you know a, a regular process like a process therapeutic session so they can talk to the person and distinguish well what happened in your childhood that made you feel abandoned, and you don't, you know, if that's what you're experiencing now. What, what's your take on that? Well, it's a very effective way to do therapeutic interventions. It's not such a fun way to have a sexual experience. <laughs> and <laughs> I thought you were going to say that. That was a setup. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, it was amazing to me when he said that. I could just, I tried to picture that. You know, like I tried to picture myself going, okay, now let's go back to your earlier similar. And listen, it works for them, and that's not, it's great. They were so generous in, uh, you know, in expressing what they do. And I just, I had a picture in my mind of, oh, no, oh, my goodness. So um, Yeah, so, yeah, what I prefer to do is, uh I I work with some tools drawn from the pelvic heart integration work that was developed by the late Jack Painter that allow people to uh, role play these kinds of situations and, you know, actually work with them in a therapeutic or, or workshop, sensual workshop setting with support from the therapist who's getting paid, not trying to have fun in bed. And, um, then people can work this stuff out so that they've already handled it by the time they get to the sexual situation with their beloveds. Got it. I got it. That's great, Deb. That's really, really great. It's a great suggestion. You know, if if uh, if people, uh, you know, listen, if people would do this about a, a variety of things, not just what we're talking about, not just the subject of possibly being attracted to or wanting to be with more than one partner, but if they would work some of these things out. I mean, for example, I I have one other question, and we don't have a lot of time, but I I have to know this. I mean, a deterrent for me is really people's sexual history and the possibility of sexually transmitted disease. I mean, do people who have multiple partners use dental dams and condoms and condoms for oral sex and, you know, all this, to me, that's a huge deterrent to want to play. 
you know, it's like, oh, I don't want to go there. I, I've been really lucky in my life. I don't want to contract anything that I don't want. Right. Well, you know, the argument that polyamorous people make is that uh, people who are already doing a practice of sharing openly about who they're having sex with are going to be probably more reliable and trustworthy about telling the truth about that than somebody who's supposed to be in a monogamous relationship but is cheating. So, you know, as far as safe sex, some polyamorous people... uh you know, are all over the the latex and the dental dams and the all of this. And other people prefer to create a, um, some people call it a condom commitment or, uh, you know, to create a closed circle. So it's just like having one partner that you agree to share fluids with, only they have a procedure for people to become part of a group, whether it's three people or five people or six people or however many people it is. They agree not to have unprotected sex outside of that circle, but within the circle they have the same freedom that a monogamous couple would have. Okay, thanks for saying that. That's really important. That's a really... I mean, I've heard people, when I first got involved in the Tantra world, I heard people... Uh, say, you know, well, I'm, my, I'm vibrating at such a high spiritual place that, you know, nothing like that would ever happen to me. I said, yeah, that's what everybody who ever got AIDS said. So I don't, I mean, that's just, I just laughed in people's faces. I said, you know, yeah, right. Well, anyway, we, we are, we are coming at the, to the end of our time together, and I really, I want to just let people know, uh, I've been speaking today with Deborah Tash on a poll. If you happen to be listening from the UK and I and uh, England and Ireland, you she'll be there in the month of September, September 2010, offering a number of workshops, which you can find out on her website. What's your website, Deb? It's lovewithoutlimits.com, all one word, lovewithoutlimits.com. So you would go to lovewithoutlimits.com to find out her schedule, find out her schedule, of course, for anywhere else she's going to be in the world. Um, and who knows, she and I may be in India together again in the world. That's, that's always a possibility. I want you to check out her new book, Polyamory in the 21st Century, Love and Intimacy with Multiple Partners. She exquisitely knows this information. And there's a lot of people who will talk to you about things. Deborah will tell you the honesty with inside of integrity, keeping your own structural integrity together, she will discuss this with you like nobody else. And I, I, I want you to know that. So thanks for being my guest today. And, uh, Thank I you, Lori. I can't wait to hear what you find out from this person who wrote the article about the new monogamy. Please keep me posted about that and certainly let her know I'd like to have her on my show. And... Uh, for everyone else, I want you to uh, please write to me at laurie at tantracafe.com. Follow me on Twitter, Laurie Handlers on Twitter or Facebook. And thank you so much for listening. Namaste from Tantra Cafe. Tune in to Tantra Cafe next week when my guest and I talk about kink as it relates to Tantra.